I'm going to spend a moment to pray for us this morning, ask the Lord's, uh, ask the Lord's blessing on uh, his word. I pray that your hearts are open this morning to listen to what God has to say to you. I'm also going to ask the guys with the songs if they can put up that first song we sang. I think it's the last slide of the first song um, while we're praying um, as well. So let's pray. Lord, we pray for this morning that your word may go forth as it ought to, that you would prepare every heart that is, is uh, here this morning and listening this morning. They would be ready to receive the word you have for them. And pray, Lord God, that we understand that it's your word, not a man's word. And we pray that we would listen carefully because you are good and you are creator and you know what is good for us, Father. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to sincerely like, welcome you to, to listening to God's word this morning. You know, what I have to share with you this morning is probably, probably a little bit different to other Sunday mornings in that it's, it, might be, it might sound like a little bit, of a, a bit more like a study uh, than, than a message as such. But I, I want to share this with you. I, want to, I pray that your hearts are open and, and ready to, to listen to this. And I apologize if you're uh, one of our Sunday school children listening this morning. I apologize in advance because it might be... It might get a little bit complicated at times, but I, I hope and pray that, that uh, maybe the parents of these children can explain things to them perhaps afterwards and help them understand a little bit more. I hope it's not complicated. I hope it's not. I think it shouldn't be, but perhaps if you're like a, a primary age, it might be a, a, little bit, a little bit for you. The last couple of weeks, um, last couple of weeks, we, I've really been wanting to share my heart around the idea of service. You know, putting your hands at the plough and and really be committed to the things of the Lord and and really kind of to step up and and think to yourself, this is a miracle to be in the place of God. This is a miracle to be in a place of service. This is God working in your heart because none none seek after God. No one really wants to be in the service of God. And there's going to be people around you that are going to both encourage you to serve Him and also discourage you from serving Him. You know, they're going to be friends around you that it might look at you really strange to think really you want to follow Jesus you want to follow you want to serve Jesus you know that might really sound strange to some of your friends whether they are school friends or work friends or or whatever they might be that will sound strange to them but in your heart of hearts you need to know and understand that this is your calling in life your calling above all callings in life is to be in the service of God wherever you are you are in the service of God whether you're in home looking after infants or whether you're leading an organization you're in the service of God this is God's service and so it's, a, it's an honor and it's a real privilege and it's time to wake up it's time to step up and think to ourselves wow what am I what am I what am I wasting what time am I wasting for God's service you know this is something that I have time on this earth this little bit of time on this earth in the whole of eternity that God has granted me whatever it is 50 60 80 100 years this time that God has granted me in the whole of eternity to make a mark for Christ. So I've got to step up and do something. And when we do these things, we don't enter into a, a field of, full of flowers and petals. <laughs> Though sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes the, the joy of the Lord and the, the peace of the Lord you know, can, continues to be our strength in these experiences. But often for the Christian, the one who puts their hand to the plow, they're entering into a war zone. They're entering into a place where there's battles and trials. They're entering into a place where the enemy is coming against them hard with many arrows and, and temptations and trials all coming towards them because at the end of the day, they are fighting an enemy. There's an enemy, they've entered to war zone and now the battle is on. But that doesn't dishearten us or discourage us. Rather, that should encourage us to put on the armour and to continue with the work that has to be done. 
Because while we enter into this war zone, we're not forsaken by the God who is stronger or more able, if you like, than the one who comes against us. Because he that is with us is stronger than he that is with them. So we're not naive to think that we're not entering, we're not, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not entering into some sort of parade where people are gonna throw nice, beautiful petals over us and think, oh, look, wonderful, here's the Christians coming for service. We know that we're entering into a place where the enemy is ready with his targets for you and for that specifically what you, he knows you are going to be most vulnerable in. So he may not target me with the same things he targets you with because he knows what you are vulnerable with. And when we go into this war zone, if you like, our enemy, the, the devil, is going to make every effort he can to prevent you from the service of the Lord. But we know, we're, we're wise enough to know that we have an enemy even, even stronger than the devil himself. And that's called, that's called our flesh. That's called our flesh that constantly resists, that constantly wants to resist the things of God, and not only resist the things of God, but constantly seeks after the things of itself. And our flesh is constantly on this kind of momentum to try and do things that is pleasurable and, and, and self-fulfilling and self-gratifying because it wants to satisfy itself. It, it can't, it, that's, it, that's its existence. Its existence is to satisfy itself. And so we enter into this war zone, if you like, doing the things of the Lord, knowing there's an enemy, but knowing that within us there is something that must be tamed and overcome. And I pray this morning as we look into God's word, we understand just the significance of what this, this, um, this nature is and how it is that God has called us to, uh, to be people who are not gripped and held back by this very nature of ours, so that we can be free in order to be his servants and his workers. In our song, um, I think in our last, the last slide of our song that we sang, it talks about him being um, stronger, if I'm not mistaken. Here we go. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Think about all the circumstances of, of your life. Think about the things that come against you in your very nature, the very things that you know that you battle with and you understand get you down. As a, as a follower of Christ, bring you down. And, and then to remember, in light of all things, who is greater? Who is stronger? Well, our God is. The very God that when you enter into this zone, our God is not forsaking. He doesn't turn around and think, oh, no, this is all too hard for me. This is all too much for me. I've, I've, got to get, I've changed my mind. I've got to get out of here. But rather, he sees and takes your hand and says, I'm stronger than this. I'm greater than this. I've got this. And he goes on to say, you are higher than any other. What, what, who, who in the world does the enemy think he is when he comes up against God? So he's not looking for people who have this ability, this skill, as if to say, oh, wow, you're so skilled in this area, because God gives skill. God grants skills. God gifts these things to people. But he's looking for people of faith, people who will rely on him, people who will depend on him, not depend on the arm of the flesh, not depend on what they can do themselves, but who can depend on the power of God to accomplish the work that he has for them. And he says, I'm greater than, I'm higher than any other. He's a healer. He's awesome in power. That's our God. And yet there are many, many Christians and many, many churches who drag their feet. They just drag their feet, thinking to themselves, you know what, you know, perhaps hopefully I'll just get through this world. Hopefully I'll get through this life. And that's not the things of God. That's not the way of God. The God in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the triumph, the Christian stands. 
Because their God is greater, their God is stronger. And so what happens is this, the devil messes with your faith. He messes with your faith and he damages and wounds your faith. And sometimes I feel like, you know, most of the work of the church is to restore a wounded faith. It's to bring it back to where it ought to be and bring it back to, to the simplicity of God's word. And in his word today, I pray that what we see is this whole idea of what God has called us to is not to be in a place. God has not called us out of a place of slavery, back into slavery, but he's called us out of a place of slavery into a place of, of freedom. Could you imagine if God took these people out of Egypt after all those years of slavery and then brought them into a place where again they would find themselves bound to their circumstances? That's, that's not God to do that. And yet that's the testimony of so many Christians. Oh, why haven't you stopped that? Oh, because I can't. Why do you still do that? Oh, because I'm in the flesh. Why do you still practice these things? Oh, because we're, you know, we're human. And so they go from, they go from one form of slavery into another form of slavery. And God's, God, if God can pull out his hair, God is pulling out his hair thinking, what's going on? It's not, what I, it's not my plan for you. It's like, it's like Egypt. It's like God takes them out of Egypt to, to only to do a 360 and then bring them back into Egypt again. So, ah, oh, I just thought I'd give you a few years in the wilderness. It's not like that. But their path it was straight. Their path was to a promised land. That's the, the path, as the Bible says, of the just that shines brighter and brighter unto that perfect day. So go with me to Romans 6. I want to read from Romans 6 from verse 15. We're going to read through the passage here. And, uh, and then I want to share some thoughts with you uh, from this passage. And again, I don't mind if we don't finish it today. It doesn't bother me. We can go and we can look at it again next week uh, in this passage. And I pray that your hearts are open and attentive to listening to what God has to speak to you. And I pray this morning that you take what God says to you. Perhaps that's the only thing I can ask you this morning. Just take what God says to you. If you leave this place and you think of one thing that you believe God's Spirit has spoken to you about, take that and go and go and do Go and do whatever God says to you. So I pray that your heart is open because I find it uh, unlikely or maybe I should say impossible that God does not have one word for you this morning. So whatever that is, I pray that you take seriously and that you would leave, that you would leave knowing this is the, the things of the Lord for you. So in Romans chapter 6, and we know Romans already is a, is a fairly intense book, uh, full of doctrine and full of teaching, we know it's, in that sense, it's, it's quite intense, and yet it's such a, such a, a liberating book, such a beautiful book. Um, and in this, in this passage in Romans 6 from verse 15 to the end, I want to read it to you, and I want you to reflect, and it might sound a little bit complicated at times, but just, just bear with me and stay, stay and get your help. Just focus on what, on what the Lord might be, might be saying to you as we read it through. So Paul writes to the Romans, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you were, yet you obeyed from, that, from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. 
I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those, thi those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so you can see already there's a lot in there. There's a lot of kind of toing and froing and mixing and matching of things that Paul is creating, a, a, you know, he's, he's developing an argument, he's developing a reasoning for, for the people of God. And he's trying to explain to them something quite significant. And the question I really want to ask you this morning, well, well really, what are we as Christians? Are we free or are we slaves? Because it seems like in this passage of Scripture, we're both. You know, are we free or are we slaves? You know, really, we talk a lot about Christians that we are, we are, we're no longer slaves. You know, we're, not, we're, we're free from being slaves. But in this passage here, quite clearly, what Paul the Apostle Paul is trying to also indicate to us that on another level, you're still a slave. Well, that sounds a bit odd. Sounds a bit um, difficult maybe to understand or to comprehend. This idea, doulos, that we are a slave bond, or we are a servant, that we are somehow bound to someone. What does it mean that we are in one part called free and then in another part called slaves? And I want to start firstly from the very last verse that we read. And I'll, I'll go back and we'll look at verse 15 again. But I want to begin with this very, the, the last verse that we read in verse, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Think about the language here. One is called wages. You work for it. And some people, boy, they work really hard for it. Some people work really hard so they can get what they want, so they can have what they want, <laughs> so they can win the fight, so they can come up on top. They can have who they want, go where they want, be who they want. They work really hard for it. It's all driven out of self. It's all driven out of a, a desire to satisfy the flesh. It's all driven out of a self-gratification. They, they work really hard for this, but what they work hard for and the wages of what they work hard for ultimately is going to lead to death. So you can keep working hard for things. You can keep working really hard towards a life that you want to live without God and work this hard, but the very wages, the very reward of all the effort you put into at the end of the day is death. And what they're doing is they're building up this incredible profit and their retirement at the end of the day is going to be death. It's not the sort of life I want to live. Here's, but on the other hand, there's a gift. It's not wages, it's but a gift. He says, and you can work really hard and put all the effort in that you want and have all the profit that you want that leads to death, but there's another thing that you can be uh, accepting and receiving as a gift, and that's the gift of life that is through Jesus Christ. 
And you can come to a place in your own life and realize, you know what, at the end of the day, I can strive as much as I want in this life and try and get everything that I want in this life that's going to lead to a death. Or I can be open and humble myself and say, hey, you know what, I don't want this path of life that's going to lead to death. I want life. And at the end of the day, the gift that God that gives us through Jesus Christ is for you to believe. Is for you to come to a place of believing that the only way you can have life is through Jesus Christ. That the only way that's going to stop you from seeking and pursuing the things that are destroying and killing you is to put your faith in the fact that Jesus Christ came to set you free. That faith, listen carefully, that faith, though it seems simple and straightforward, is the very faith that often gets damaged and wounded by this world. Well, God all along has been asking his people to do this. God all along has wanted his people to choose him. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 30, God says, I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, he says, choose life. God all along has wanted people to choose life. Right from the back in the Old Testament, God's telling his people, I'm telling you, I'm putting before you very simply life and death, blessing and cursing. Please choose life. And yet, Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people continue to choose death. Why? <laughs> because they're not interested in having Lord a Lord over them. They're not interested in following the path of righteousness. They're not interested in having God as their Lord and leader of their life. And so God in his pleading says, you know what? This is what I want you to do. I want you to choose this life. What is this life? Is it a life of slavery? Is it a life of freedom? What is this life? What does it look like? What does it look like for you? What does it, what does it feel like for you? What's your experience of it? Week by week, when you come to church, Sunday after Sunday, or Bible studies, week by week, what does it look like? What does it feel like for you? Do you consider your life and think to yourself, yes, my life is an experience and a testimony that is free? Or do you week by week say to yourself, why do I still do the same things? I don't know. You, only you can answer that. Only you know that. Why do I keep going down the same path? Why do I keep making the same decisions, keep looking at the same things, keep being the person I don't want to be every time? Why do I keep doing that? You, only you know what that looks like and feels like for yourself, but you need to answer this question, what is life? What is life? What God, what does it feel like and look like for you? And when you compare that to the scripture, does it, do they align themselves? Do they meet up with the scripture? Because God looks at you in, in a sense of anguish and thinks, this is not what I wanted for you. I didn't call you out of one thing to become the same in another place. But I called you to be something more. So it's interesting, back in John 15, this is what Jesus says to his disciples, listen carefully. He says this, no longer, listen, no longer do I call you servants, doulos, slaves. He says, I don't call you that anymore. Hang on, but the Apostle Paul called us that. He just said, I don't call you this anymore. For a servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. 
For all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Here's Jesus saying something interesting, which seems in contradiction to what the Apostle Paul's saying. He goes, I don't call you servants. I don't call you slaves anymore. He goes, I call you friends. Because a master doesn't tell his friends what he's doing, but I've told you everything. And brothers and sisters, in regards to these things, we are the friends of God. In regards to all the things that he reveals, what does he hide back from us? What does he hold back? What does he say? No, I'm not telling you that. What does he do to us as his people, as his children? We're not his servants. We're his friends. We're his sons and daughters. But in regards to righteousness, we are slaves. We are still his Lord. And because he is Lord, we give everything to him. In fact, you know the word servant in the New Testament? Really, it is a place of dignity and honor for the Christian when you read through the New Testament. And it's actually a place where, where you should be almost proud of the word. Not like the world thinks about it as if some sort of oppressive, cold, harsh life. This is a word that indicates the honor and dignity and elevation of the Christian. It is a place of freedom. Because now, for once in their life, they know what to do and they do it. And so Jesus is right and Paul's right. But Paul is trying to highlight something in particular that I want us to focus on this morning. He's trying to highlight something that really is is significant and important for us to consider, understand, live, practice, be, become. And so he says in verse 15, What shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Yes, certainly not. (laughs) Why even ask the question? Have you ever thought that? Like, why even ask the question? What was Paul hearing? What 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 was the Apostle Paul confronting in his day that he would even have to ask that question? Could you imagine the talk in the town? Could you imagine the, the theories and the philosophies that were going around at the time? And he's trying, to, he's trying to wrestle with this and he's trying to clarify things for the Christian and people saying, oh, you know what? God's good. God's given us grace. And so now it doesn't matter if we sin because God's grace is much bigger than the sin that we do. And possible thinking, what's going on here? So he has to, he has to clarify things. And he says, you know what? Let me, let me ask you a question. Are we going to continue in doing the things that aren't right? Is our behavior going to continue to be a, a reflection of ourselves and not of Christ because we're under this grace now? He goes, certainly not. God forbid. For sure not, he says. He, he's, he's clearly ripping out this argument that somehow we can live by grace and because grace is so good, we are entitled to somehow continue in our sin. And he, he, he kind of smashes that whole argument by saying, God forbid. <laughs> you know what we get today? Listen, this, you know, if today's modern translation of the Bible was, was being written, I'll tell you what you'd write. You'd, you'd read something like this. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but, grace, uh, but under grace? Possibly. And then a description. Or we would say, we would say something like, "Well, yes, if. Well, you may under these circumstances. That's what today's translation would sound like. Well, uh, when it's this and that, maybe, but not for. Because what it's doing, it's trying to form a doctrine. It's trying to create a, a, a belief that is suited around me." 
not around him. And this is what people get most scared of. They read scripture and they get scared like this. They, get, they, get, they start to think to themselves, ah, this is not my experience. So, so, so maybe it means something else. Maybe, maybe there's, a, there's, a, there's another scripture that can kind of uh, uh, lessen the blow of it. And they'll, they'll search and people find things and they, they create doctrines that will suit them and we know that. That's all out there in this world. But when we look at God's word and we go from place to place to place to place, it's all the same. And so he says in verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Wow. I want you to think about it for a moment. You get up each day and you present yourself to one or the other. And you know in your hearts what you do. You know. Either you present yourself, as the Bible says here, he says either you present yourselves um, of, of sin leading to death or as a slave, or you present yourself in obedience leading to righteousness. You decide in your heart, what am I going to do? Which way am I going to go? Who am I going to present myself to? Which master am I going to say, here I am to? One will be sin to death. One will be obedience to righteousness. Isn't it fascinating how, how many people, when sin whispers, when sin whispers, they say yes. When sin says go, they say okay. So whatever, think about it. And then when sin sometimes shouts, they say, yes, here I come. Or when sin sometimes demands and says, I want you to do this, they, they kind of shake and they go, oh, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And all of a sudden, what they live, they live their lives, they present their lives as if like sin's their master. And if sin says go this way, they go this way. If they say go this way, they go this way. And they, 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 have, they, they do as they are asked to do because it is their master. And that's what the Apostle Paul's saying here. Whoever you present yourself slaves to obey, that's what you're going to obey. But I find it fascinating that for so many people, even in the churches today, all sin has to do, all the temptation has to say, hey, that looks good. Why don't you go there? Why don't you look at that? Why don't you do that? Why don't you say that? And the flesh jumps to it and they say, okay, I'll do it. And they say, oh, but I'm free. I'm free. <laughs> Jesus set me free. You don't, you don't look free to me. You don't sound free to me. If, you, if I experienced what you're experiencing, I wouldn't be feeling free. I'd be feeling like a, a slave to doing what I know I shouldn't be doing. And the Apostle Paul is saying very clearly, this is not the life of the Christian. So I don't understand why people answer to sin when it calls. I don't know, put it on silent. It's meant to be a joke. Why do people call, respond to it? As soon as it comes its way, 
I have to listen to it as if like it's my master. What's well, not your master? This is the whole argument that Paul is reasoning. He's not your master. It's not your master. You can say no to this by the power of God. This is, the, this is the plan of God. He took you out of Egypt not to be slaves in the wilderness. He took you out of Egypt in order to be free from that slavery. It's like I like sharing the, the, an illustration of the man who buys a new house. And imagine you're someone who likes to buy a new house. So I likes to buy, you buy a new house. You know, and it's your house now. It's in your name now. You're entitled to it. This is it. Everything about it now is your house. But the old owner comes knocking on the door. He comes knocking and he opens open the door and he, he's demanding his way into the house. This is my house. I want to come in here. I want to use your fridge. I want to use your shower. I want to use your bathroom. This, um, and, he, and he's demanding his way into this house because now, because it used to be his house. And you, by faith, can say, it's no longer your place. You close that door. Because today, today, he who lives in me is stronger than he who lives in the world. Today, I don't live by faith, but I live by Christ who's in me. It is him that is in me. And the old master has no place anymore in this house. He has no place anymore. And so I, whether I gently shut the door or I slam the door, whatever it is I do, he has no place anymore. He's not the master of the house anymore. Christ lives in it. And that's why the Bible says, he says, the Bible says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you put on Jesus, in other words, he's now the master and the Lord, you are wearing everything that identifies with him. He goes, you've put on Jesus. It's really interesting in Romans, it says, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But when you take him off and expose yourself and allow yourself to live life somehow with a bit of your own and a bit of him, well, then you just open your door to the house to anyone who wants to come in. This faith, beloved, this faith, brothers and sisters, is the faith that is often damaged in the church. Verse 17, and I'll probably, probably finish with this one. Verse 17. So in light of what the Apostle Paul is saying, he says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. Verse 17 and 18. Perhaps, brothers and sisters, perhaps it's two of the most remarkable verses in the Bible. Two of the most remarkable verses in the Bible. It talks about a form of doctrine, a pattern of believing, a way of thinking, a way of teaching, to which you were delivered. This is what you've come to. And he talks about a freedom from sin and yet a slave of righteousness. Free and a slave. Free and a slave. Two very remarkable verses in the Bible. You know, um, when I think of the servants or the slavery under Christ, 
I don't know about you, but I don't think about it like a, a, a harshness. I don't think about it like a harsh taskmaster that they had under Egypt. When I think about a slavery to Christ, I think about a servant's heart that submits himself or herself to everything the Lord is asking of them because this is a relationship where not only there is love, but there is protection, there is power. This is my life, this is my food. It's like when Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. You don't see in that statement a sense of horror in the heart of Jesus that thinks, oh no, my food is to do, and the food, oh, it's not really that good, that food. No, you see a sense of, uh, of, of delight in wanting to do everything the Father has asked of him. This is the slavery that God has called us to. It's everything that he's asked of us to do, knowing that everything we are part of is part of his love and protection for our lives. Why would I want to step out of that? Why would I want to try and do it my own way? Live it, live it my own way. So Paul's saying you've become, you're, you're, you're free from, from a sin and to become slaves of righteousness this is what happens people like to define freedom however they want i mean think about it for a moment for yourself how do you define it if i said to you what's freedom what does it mean to be free there's going to be things going through your mind. Freedom is, I don't know, um, going wherever I want to go. Freedom is doing whatever I want to do. <laughs> freedom, is, freedom is being the person I want to be. I, I don't know, what's freedom? Like, how do, you define, how do you define freedom? And often, if you strip it all back, you will find that most people will define freedom something like this, being able to be free to decide whatever I want to do without the consequences. That doesn't make sense to me. Being free to decide whatever you want to do without the consequences sounds more like foolishness to me than freedom. I mean, we know. We think of life. Life is like that. Life is like you don't expect to live life without rules and boundaries. Look at you don't go out into this world and say, I'm going to drive my car and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to not going to follow any rules. Uh, that's foolishness. We know we live life with boundaries. If I said to you, would you rather live in a country that had no rules or a country with rules? Who's going to say no rules? We know it's sensible and right because we know what's good for us. And so God has the same thing. Anybody who wants to live and make decisions based on what they want to do without any consequences at all, it's not freedom, it's foolishness. Freedom is this, it is the power to do what is right in the sight of God because this is what people lack. They lack this freedom. They lack the ability to do what is right in the sight of God because they're doing what is driven by their own nature and they continue to bind themselves this form of doctrine this belief that jesus has set us free is often or largely the belief that people feel they struggle with the most but this is not freedom freedom isn't doing whatever you want to do freedom is the power to do what is right before god 
Now, I know sometimes what gets in the way is doubts. I know that. What happens sometimes is people doubt that. They think, I don't get that. I, don't, I can't. That's too hard. I, that's too much for me. You're trying to tell me when God says, do this, I can do it. When God says, ask me to, to forgive that person, I can forgive or love that person, I can love or be steadfast here to be steadfast and be caring or, or, or don't, don't go for jealousy and don't go for, um, for um, self-gratification. You're trying to tell me all in every time I'm faced with these temptations in life, I can say no to them? Because that's doubt. And doubt is really, um, um, it's hard to watch someone with this doubt. Not hard in that it's, like, it's, I understand it because I experience it. Like, there are times when I experience it in life, so I understand this doubt. But you know what is more concerning is when this faith is damaged and wounded. When someone has been told so much that is not like this, that they can't believe it anymore. But they actually can't believe it. They look at the church and they think, you guys are crazy thinking this. Yeah, yeah that's weird you think this. Where did you get that in the Bible? And do you know how many people come into this fellowship and they hear the truths of God, that Jesus came to set you free? And it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like their faith is being restored again. It's gone from a wounded faith to being healed again, a wounded faith to being restored again, because all of a sudden the truths of God are, are, are revealing the errors of what they've been hearing all their lives, and now all of a sudden their, their soul is being restored and refreshed and replenished by the goodness and the word of God. That's beautiful to watch. That is really beautiful to watch. But whether it's doubt or whether it's a damaged faith, whatever it is, the truths of God stand, and that's our only hope. This is the form of doctrine. This is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not ever, ever a place where sin and grace can coexist. I don't know. It's all over the Word of God. I'll finish with this. It's all over the Word of God. Look at verse 7. Go back to chapter 6, verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. I mean, it's again and again and again and again in Scripture. The same form of doctrine. The same pattern of teaching. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, whether you're here, whether you're listening, is this the form of doctrine you hold dearly to? Is this the, the, the form of teaching that, you are, that is most precious to you? So much so, there is no excuse for your behaviour. But you believe in the power of Jesus Christ who delivered you from one thing in order to set you free to him. Yes, slaves to righteousness, but slaves to do what is right. Is this your life? Is this what it looks like and feels like for you? And I pray this morning, if it doesn't, I ask you, urge you, beg you, make it your experience. Let it become your experience. Come before the, the, the altar, the footstool of God, and say, Lord, this, I need this to be my experience. 
This is the truths, your truths. This is why your son went to such a sacrifice on the cross for me to break the power of all that wants to bind me. And this is our experience. This is the experience that we are called to have because we are under grace. And what I pray that what the devil doesn't do is to throw seeds of discouragement, but rather what the Spirit of God does throws much seed of hope, knowing this is what you have been called to. And that over the week to come, you take whatever the Spirit of God has spoken to you about, that you take that and make it real for you by God's grace and by God's goodness. Let me pray for us. Let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. And God willing, uh, I'll continue to, to read that passage next week and finish um, the other verses and the richness of his word and what he says to us uh, through, through his word. I pray this morning that you would choose life as we saw uh, early in the, in, the, in the morning, that we would choose life. Uh, God has called us, always is calling us to choose life and not death. From the beginning of time, God told his people, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing them to choose life. From the time of Jesus, Jesus called us unto life. The apostle Paul tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's choose this life this morning, I pray, that we would stop running and um, from the very uh, blessing and life that God has called us to. I pray this morning that if you have still not chosen life like this, that you would come humbly before the Lord who loves you dearly, who welcomes you into his kingdom, who opens his arms to his grace and his goodness, that you would come and, as the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. His very precious promises are for you and his word of goodness and his word of power is for you so that he that is in you will be greater than he that is in the world. Father, I want to thank you again for your word this morning. I pray that um, we remember that you are stronger. That whatever the enemy throws our way, that your word is more powerful, that grace is more powerful. And Father, I pray that if our faith doubts this morning or is damaged in some way, that in the name of Jesus that you would restore that, that we would come believing with all our hearts that this is what you have called us to, that we can stand in this righteousness, that we can stand in this freedom, slaves of this righteousness because of your goodness and your grace, that we may close the door in, in the name of Jesus to all the enemy has to tell us and all the temptations that come our way, and that this door may remain shut by your grace. Thank you, God. Thank you for all that you give us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.